pediatric speech language pathologist and welcome to my podcast number 448 speech therapy games for toddlers and preschoolers with language delays brought to you by my website teach me to talk where we're the largest online provider of ASHA approved continuing education courses for professionals who specialize in early intervention I'm so excited to be back we've been off for a while so many things happened I caught a cold after I spent a wonderful week with our grandbaby and then that turned into bronchitis and then we had a little thing in South Florida called Hurricane Ian (laughs) perhaps you've heard of that and so we had to recover from that and it's taken us some time to kind of get back up and running but again I'm so excited to be back and to talk to you about all the wonderful things that we have planned for this fall another reason that I was away is that we had a book launch and so about six weeks ago we uh, released my latest two therapy manuals the Apraxia Workbooks 1 and 2 and so if you were working with a child with markers for childhood apraxia of speech or perhaps your own child has been diagnosed with apraxia or that's suspected for your child this workbook series will really help you develop an individualized uh, plan for your child really tailor the strategies for what you are seeing in your child and what your therapist is seeing in your child so you can find out information about that in the post below so I wanted to be sure to talk to you about that as well Uh, Today we're going to be kicking off our fall podcast series and we're going to be talking about something that I've never talked about in the 15 year history of this podcast and I know some of you have been with me since 2008 when we launched our show. I want to thank you for that and, and let me just say again how thrilled I am to be able to do this next series. So what we're going to do is take all of the language milestones from under 12 months all the way to 48 months, which is the upper end of the age range that I specialize in. So to about four, even though we know that lots of our little friends will be well beyond that range before they start to acquire these skills. But I wanna take those milestones and walk through that very sequentially. So we'll have a show per age range in little uh, six month increments. So we'll have a show for under 12 months with receptive language and then with expressive language. We're gonna walk all the way through. Like I said, it's gonna be about uh, 14 or 15 shows walking through all of these milestones. So join me for that. We'll be talking about therapy activities. I'll show you toys and the, the strategies that I've found that work best to help children who are late talkers or who have a language delay for any kind of reason. Perhaps there's a diagnosis, but we're going to take that and really, again, show you exactly what you can do to help children acquire the milestones beyond child will talk or child will say, may, uh, say more words. We need to be more uh, special and more specific than that. So that's what we're going to spend this fall talking about. And so today we're headed in that direction. Before we get there though, I wanted to do this additional show about the best games to use. Now I'm not talking about games like Candyland or Hi-Ho Cheerio, although those will be wonderful things to do with our children when they get there. But so many of our little friends, especially our little guys that are still toddlers, aren't developmentally ready for that. And so we have to walk them 
through and get them ready. And we do that by backing up and starting with things that are easier and that are more developmentally appropriate. And we can target a ton of goals with these little games. So let's get started talking about that today. And so we're going to be speaking about the best games to address a variety of goals for young children with language delays. And so we're going to talk about four overall categories of games today. And with each of these kinds of games, I'll be giving you an explanation of the kind or the category of game, the skills that each kind of game addresses so that you'll know exactly what you're working on. We're not going to play this game with every kid and just kind of apply it globally. We're going to be laser focused and really, really target the weaknesses that we want to improve in each of the children who would be participating with us. And again, this is appropriate whether you're a mom at home or a dad working with your child or a grandparent. I get lots of emails from grandmothers now, I guess because I'm grandmother age and have a grandbaby too. But you're going to get specifics with when do I use this game and who is this game for? So we're going to talk about target populations. I'm also going to give you several examples of each kind of game so that you can get started immediately playing those things today with the child that you're working with. And then I'll give you resources for each type of game so that you can get more ideas if you need them. Now, I also want to invite you to follow along on your handout if you purchased uh, CE credit for this show. If you're a parent and you want the show notes, which is what we originally called these pieces of paper, those links are also below. So let's start by talking about why we use games in therapy and the reasons that we should play games with toddlers. So number one, games prepare toddlers to transition to adult-directed activities. Now, if you have worked for more than a week or two, <laughs> you know that we have some kids that no matter what we're trying to do with them in therapy, they just want to do their own thing. They are really, it's hard to lure them into participating with you. It's hard for them to let you into their little world. Sometimes they're so locked down on their own play and their own agendas that we don't really have room to get in there. So games prepare toddlers to participate in adult-directed activities, and they'll need that for preschool. And I am all for child-led therapy where we follow a child's lead and we pursue their interest and we meet them where they are. But at the same time, especially our little guys that are two, two and a half, headed toward three that still aren't really letting us um, guide them or help them participate, they are just going to be lost when they get to preschool, when they're three and four, and certainly by kindergarten age. So the games really help prepare toddlers and preschoolers to transition to the kind of learning environment that they'll be exposed to as they get a little bit older. The second reason that we want to play games here in uh, speech therapy, even with toddlers, is because so many parents say things like, I don't know how to play with him. I'm not sure how to get the same kinds of things that you see in therapy. I was talking to a speech pathologist this morning who said to me that a dad said to her yesterday, hey, this isn't normal for my child. What she's doing with you right and he was talking about in a good way. He said, What this the kind of play that she's doing with you right now, she never does this. Please don't think this is normal for her. And so uh so many times again, parents need more of a roadmap and more structure. And games do that because there's a beginning, a middle, and an end, and they know what to expect and what to anticipate, and they don't have to think on their feet quite like they would if they were doing free play. And so especially for parents who say to you, 
things like, I don't know how to play, or I can't get the same results with her when I play with her at home as you seem to do in therapy. These games really give parents that structure that they're looking for, and then they get more comfortable. And then I've seen that when parents learn how to play these little games and they get these going at home, then free play becomes more comfortable. And so we'll talk about that a little bit as we go today, as I'm explaining the different games and talk about how you can help a parent expand it and then transition that. All right, the third reason that we want to play games with toddlers in speech therapy is that games naturally target two things that we as pediatric SLPs want to target, and that's certainly social interaction and communication. And these things happen very naturally in the context of the game. And so, and there's also, because of this, the way that we're going to be talking about what we'll be doing with the games, there's an expectation that a child participates and that he or she learned to do their part. And that's so important for our little guys who follow their own agendas, like we've talked about, and then certainly for our little guys who are just habitual non-responders. So what do I mean by that? And again, I bet you've seen that. I bet you might have treated a kid like that today. So a habitual non-responder is a child who, again, for lack of a better word, just just doesn't ever respond. It doesn't matter if you stand on your head. It doesn't matter what cool toy you have, what cool snack you have. They just are pretty standoffish. And sometimes it is because they're locked down on their own agendas, like we've already talked about. And sometimes it's just that they, because of their lack of expressive communication, they are not in the habit of that turn-taking and that reciprocity that we need to see. And so using a game like this, it sets it up from the very beginning that I do this and then you do this and I do this and then you do this. And so that's why I love to use games in speech therapy. And so lastly, and this reason's not on your handout, but I wanted to include it, games increase staying power. So what do I mean by staying power? And this isn't my term. It's by an author who's an educator named Susan Odson. And I read this book uh, that she wrote called Giggle Time probably, I want to say 20 years ago, but honestly, it might have been a few years more than that. But she took the floor time approach that she, and she uh, worked with floor time experts, and certainly that's Dr. Stanley Greenspan's uh, work. She took that and then she really uh, developed a way to pull children in. Again, these are children who uh, probably on the autism spectrum or for whatever other reason, they were pretty disconnected. So this little book called Giggle Time really revolutionized my practice. And it's what I read and what I used sort of as my template before I wrote uh, my first therapy manual, Teach Me to Play With You. And it really taught me how to keep a child with me by using these little social games and by helping them learn to stay. And so when a child recognizes the familiar routine, like the little games that we're going to talk about today, that again makes them want to be with you instead of run away from you. And so games really do help kids uh, know what to expect and then they begin to participate and again they stay. And so instead of spending all your time or a lot of your time in therapy or even working with your own child at home when you're trying to teach them and when you're trying to work with them on developing communication skills and developing language skills. You can do that better when they're with you versus when you're having to chase them and constantly bring them back. So if you find yourself saying to a child, come here, sit down, listen to me, let's do this. All those things that we say, games should be your option. That might be your next strategy because there's probably not quite enough expectation there that the child is going to stay with you. So we're going to be talking about four categories of games today. Social games, receptive language games, imitation games, and first game with 
games with peers. Now, some of you may be thinking, I don't see expressive language on here. I don't see intelligibility on here. That's right, <laughs> because we're going to talk about these kinds of games first. And, and uh, again, so excited about this topic. And when I started developing this show several weeks ago, I've become even more excited about it to the point that I'm going to write a therapy manual about this, about using speech therapy games uh, with toddlers and preschoolers with language delays. And so that, that book will be coming out, hopefully, um, around Christmas time or in the holidays this year. And so we're going to uh, be talking about all, the book will include all the games that we're talking about today, plus more, plus those uh, expressive language things that we're not going to have time to talk about today. So there's an important distinction here with the first three categories of games that I told you about, social games, receptive language games, and imitative games. Those are all games that we're going to play with a child one-on-one. So a speech pathologist and a mom and a kid, or a mom and a kid, or just the therapist and the kid, however you want to do it. These are one-on-one. And then the last category of games is first games with peers. And so here we're going to be taking some of the same kinds of games that we talk about in the first three categories and then add a friend. And that's so important, again, for our little guys, especially our little guys with markers for autism or a child with any kind of speech-language delay who has not uh, communicated with other children regularly, that that hasn't been something that he or she have done. And so this little uh, first games with peers is going to be such an important thing that maybe you as an SLP have really incorporated into your sessions. Now, you might do it with siblings or if you see a child in a child care setting, but so many of our little friends, especially post-COVID, who were under lockdown their first two years of life, have not had many experiences with other, other children. And so it's certainly a concern that we are going to be seeing moving forward as we uh, continue to treat children and get everybody back in person. And so that's something that we want to talk about today. So let's get started with our first category here. So what are social games? And if you have spent any time uh, listening to my work or going to my website at Teach Me To Talk or here on our YouTube channel, you know that social games are just one of my passions. So let's start with this category. So a social game is any kind of parent-child or adult-child routine that we establish and then we repeat over and over. So social games can be things like songs or rhymes or finger plays or, again, any little game that you make up where there are rules or there are expectations. And uh, particularly here in this first phase, it would be that you as the adult say and do the same things over and over and over for the purpose of interacting and talking and having fun together. And so early social games that we think about between parents and babies are things like peekaboo or patty cake or even something like a little routine like high five or something like a song like itsy bitsy spider now as kids get older we can involve more people we'll have more advanced objectives or rules or expectations for the game and we can start out something with something simple like ring around the rosies which we'll be talking about today and then we get to things that are more advanced like hide and go seek or tag or duck duck goose and so that's certainly where we're headed now you can also make a your own social games with a toddler. And I bet if you are thinking about this right now, you have some little play routines that maybe as a therapist they might be child specific, something that a child really likes to do with you that you haven't generalized or carried over to other kids on your caseload yet. Or if you're a parent, you might have some kind of little special routine that you and your child do together. 
that's a social game. So those are the kinds of things that we're going to talk about. And again, these are things that when you say the same things and when you do the same things, that gives a child an opportunity to remember and then recognize what his part of the game is and then begin to participate. So let's talk about the skills that we target with social games. Of course, we target number one, what? Social interaction. The main reason that we play these little games is to help a child develop that reciprocity or develop that turn taking that back and forth with you do this and then I do this you do this and I do this and that's what communication is all about it always takes two people to communicate and we each take turns with that and so we have to help our children who are non-communicative especially those kids who aren't using gestures and the kids who aren't really kind of holding their own place in a conversation even without words this is the step that a lot of them are missing it's that learning that non-verbal interactive uh, communicative piece there so that's number one we target social interaction and certainly number two we target what imitation we teach a kid to do what we do and say what we say and if you again are familiar with my work you know that that's the second thing that I preach all the time is teaching a child who isn't talking to imitate it I believe that imitation is the most important skill that we as pediatric speech-language pathologists and other kinds of early intervention professionals can teach a child is how to imitate because that's how kids learn everything and again we don't get there by teaching a child immediately who's not talking to say words and lots of parents think that when they come into speech therapy and they're kind of confused at the beginning because they say why is she working on play why is she focused on this social interaction piece why is she trying to get him to follow so many directions all we want him to do is talk and we as therapists have to really explain that to parents. We have to explain all the things that come first. And so with social games, what do we want them to do before they talk? Well, first we want them to recognize the game so that if they are across the room and you start their little routine that they perk up and they remember and then they start to participate and respond and do their parts. And so that's kind of where we want to end up with them learning this is my part in this game and this is what I do. And again, why do we do this? It prepares them for talking and prepares them for communicating. And when we're teaching a child to imitate, as I started to say before, we don't always start up there at words. Why? Because that's too hard. If a kid could imitate a word, there would be no, probably no need for he or she to be in speech therapy, right? Because that's the skill that lots of our little friends who are late talkers or our little friends who have language delays and disorders are missing. They don't understand how to imitate. And so we have to start back, not at the verbal level, that's obviously too hard because if they could do it, they would be talking. We have to start back at that nonverbal level and walk them through that whole entire hierarchy. All right, so let's talk about the purpose of social games and I've already said this a little bit but I want to make sure you you get this we work on social interaction because it's the foundation for meaningful language the reason that any of us learn language learn how to talk learn how to communicate is so that we can express our own messages our own wants and needs to another person and so again when a child is missing that interaction piece we see this often maybe in a child who has echolalia. They can talk. They can quote, you know, a whole monologue from their favorite movie or their favorite show, or they may quote you. <laughs> they, they may have, they may do you, as I kind of think about in therapy when I've had some little friends of mine who learned to say the same things in the same way that I say it. 
there are kids who can do that, but their communication is all one-sided. And so when they begin their echolalia, particularly if they're doing long passages, you'll see that it's not really directed toward anyone else. And that child's problem is different from a kid who can't say anything, but who is really, really involved with you. And so the kid who is echolalic is missing a lot of times that foundation for social interaction. And where we might see a lot of our little friends, maybe we're talking about a child with apraxia before, or a child who's a late talker, or another kind of diagnosis, they've got the interaction piece, they just don't have the words. And so you can see that big difference there, and we can distinguish which of those children is having difficulty communicating with the process of using the words and which of the children again it's just the word it's just the words that they're missing they have all the prerequisites the engagement piece and so we want to help our little friends who are missing that first piece of engagement or interaction all right and so next let's talk about who benefits from social games so what are our target population here and again you can find all these things there on your handout if you want to be sure that you are uh, keeping this information to use later so what kinds of games do social, what kinds of kids benefit from social games? What kinds of kids are we going to use our social games with? Well, first of all, our nonverbal kids, because we said that we're teaching imitation and that we're teaching them how that they need to do something in the context of the game, that this is their particular part, this is their expected response. And with nonverbal kids, we talked about our habitual non responders, our kids who've gotten in the habit of just doing nothing when someone talks to them or asks them to complete a request. So those are the kinds of kids that really benefit from social games. Also kids who avoid. So our kids who are busy, who are doing everything they can to escape. These are our little friends that will benefit from social games as well. Because remember we said that games provide staying power. Games give them a reason to want to be with you. They recognize the game because they've heard the same words presented in the same way at the same kind of time, the same context. And so it's familiar and they begin to respond. Another kind of kid, uh, we talked about the kids who have social differences. So our kids who don't make eye contact, our children who don't respond to their names. Like I said before, our children who don't usually participate with us or follow directions. Those are gr great candidates for social games. Our kids who prefer screens over people. Do you have those kids on your caseload? <laughs> I bet you do. You, you think you're going to use an app with them for therapy, which I believe is a horrible idea because with these kinds of kids because they really need again to establish that interaction with people and you learn how to talk from people not from uh, machines or from screens and so uh, our little friends who love screens the most often need them the least and so social games can really help these kinds of kids pull them out pull them into that that habit of responding and that habit of participating with you and I'll be honest here I play social games with every child I see, no matter what's going on, and here's why. I always see responses, and I always see kind of that next level up. Even in a kid that you think might not need a social game, this will help them again, draw them into you. Kids who seem shy or disconnected that you think this is an autism or this isn't a sensory issue. This is a temperament issue. This is their personality. This child is more cautious. This child is more reserved. And so social games can so many times really break the ice with a kid and really get interaction going even more so than playing with a toy because you become the toy in the social game. They need to play with you. 
And so because social games are so essential for all toddlers with language delays, I always recommend that therapists have 10 to 15 social games that you can just play at the drop of the hat, whether I, I drop you down in a parent's home or whether you're in a, an outpatient clinic or whether you're at, in a park or whether, you know, we just set you down in a mall somewhere. You would have these 10 to 15 games just ready to go at your fingertips at any time. So what are your social games? Do you have that many that you could play? Now, when I taught this, uh, this information live, I would always pause and give therapists some time to write that down in that core and really think about what they already do. Because here's the thing. I don't want you just to copy what I do and have it work for you, although that will work. <laughs> And I have lots of people tell me all the time, I just, I didn't understand it, but I just did what you did and it all worked out. And so that's great. But a lot of the time you as experienced speech language pathologists already have things that you do. And I want you to stop right now and write down your games. And this is a great exercise for parents too. So if you purchase the handout for the show, I left some room for that here on page two. But if you didn't get the handout yet, if you were driving or if you were exercising and you can't do it, don't worry about it, but later I want you to really be purposeful about this and write down the games that you already play. And so after you do that, we're going to review a few of my favorites and then I'm going to talk to you about the method that I use to get that going now with the little friends that I see. So here's my list and I'll tell you my list has changed over the last several years. I used to really just have my games and I played whatever I thought a kid would like or kind of whatever came to my mind at the moment and again that works. But now I use sort of a different method and this is from my therapy manual called the Autism Workbook. And I decided for that project that I would really start to break down social games into categories based on a child's sensory needs. And so, so let's start by talking about the first category of social games. And this would be very simple social games. And you can look at your list there on the handout. But these are things that almost any child can do and you can get going again today with a toddler that you're working with. So it's a great starting point. So here I'm talking about things like high five. And high five, give me five, whatever you want to call it, is such a simple game. And please don't dismiss this game because you think it's too simple that every child can do it. And so if you're working with a child and your child can do it, you're a parent, that's great. But there are kids, and I know if you're a therapist, you've already seen this, who really don't understand what you to do, what to do when you say give me five. And so how do we teach this? You, you practice, you, you practice your routine with give me five and you take your free hand that you're not holding up for the five and you reach out and have it, take a child's hand and have him slap your hand and say, yay, five. And you do that over and over and over. You might also model it with another person. So if you're a therapist, you play this with whoever's bringing the child to therapy or whoever's there. If you're doing home visits, when you go see them. And you just get this little routine going. And so for our kids who have significant social interaction problems or our children with significant intellectual disabilities, this is certainly a starting point and it helps them learn how to interact and, and what? And do their part. And what is their part with Gimme Five? It's that they hold their little hand up and slap your hand back or hold their hand up for you to slap theirs. And so great little game to get going at the beginning. So easy. Other little simple routines here are our baby social games. So things like peekaboo and things like patty cake. And so peekaboo, what would be a child's part in peekaboo? Well, it's letting you cover his head with a blanket. And again, sometimes you could start with your hands, but that's 
that's so hard for some of our little friends. You need a better prop so that they understand the game better. So cover their heads with a little blanket or whatever you have there. And then, you know, just, just ask, you know, where's Brandon? Where's Brandon? Where's Brandon? And then uncover his head and say, boo. And so again, that simple little routine that you might as a parent kind of dismiss This is the foundation for interaction. And so talk with parents about that if you are a therapist and you're saying, we've got to get these little routines going. Let's just see how he does with Pickaboo. And eventually we want him to do more than uh, just laugh when you're doing the game with him. We want him what? We want him taking the blanket off his head on his own. Or we want him initiating the game by getting a blanket and beginning that little coy, uh, flirtatious routine with you, teasing you by, you know, holding it up as if to invite you to play peekaboo with him and so again that would be his part and that's how we walk a kid through from the very beginning of a game like this and have him become more and more participatory or more and more advanced as he continues the game as he really recognizes it and then begins to respond at a higher and higher higher level so let's take a game like patty cake so uh, you can say patty cake a lot of different ways but here's the way i do it patty cake patty cake baker's man bake me a cake as fast as you can pat it out roll it up and throw it in the pan. Okay, that's the most kind of basic routine. And again, a lot of you can say different things. You might do the market with the bee, put it in the oven for baby and me, whatever you do with that. But what would a child's part be in this? It would be watching you at the very beginning, right? And then what would we, we want him to do? We would want him to begin to clap with us with the patty cake part, roll it up, roll it up, or whatever your little hand motions are for the version of the song that you sing and then throw it in the pan at the end. And so those kinds of things, getting a child from the point where he he recognizes when you start, when you say, oh, are you going to play patty cake? Let's play patty cake. Come on, let's play patty cake, where he starts to realize, oh, I know what she's going to do. She's about to start clapping. And eventually, when you want to play this game long enough and often enough so that when he hears the words patty cake, he starts to clap his little hands because he has associated that game with what comes next. And eventually, like I said, you want to keep bumping that up so that he's participating in more and more and more of the routine. So those are very simple social games. The next kind of social games, and you can follow along on your handout, would be movement games. And so movement games are fantastic for our little guys that we said who are constantly on the go. And we want to give them an opportunity to move because we know their little sensory system needs it because it's what they're craving. So we know their bodies want it. So we want to give them an opportunity to get that need met while they are communicating with us. And so a movement game would be one where movement or running, bouncing, rolling, swinging, some kind of movement is built into that game. So let's talk about running games. Uh, Ready, set, go, where maybe you hold the child with you or a child who likes to run. You grab him and you get him and you say, oh, we're going to run. Let's get ready. Ready, set, go. And then you release him and let him run. You can run beside him, try to get in front of him so that he he can see you while he's running and he realizes that you're doing it together and you say, go, 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 or run, 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 whatever you say while you're running, and then stop and begin again. So you, you catch him again and you say, oh, let's do it again. Let's run. What do we say? Ready, set, Go! Now, eventually, after you've played this a lot with a child, you want to start pausing before you say go. 
Why is that? Because he might say go because he's heard it enough and he's recognized it and he's remembered it. He might start to fill in that word. And so that's certainly something that we want to do. And that's one thing that we're doing with all these social games is really establishing that expectation for their part. And eventually that means talking. And so uh, using a little cue or little verbal routine like ready, set, go, they learn to say that word. So again, that's why these social routines work, these social games work. Another little game in this kind of, um, with movement in this kind of category would be something like one, two, three, up. And this would be where you are counting, maybe holding a child, uh, uh, a toddler on the floor or on the ground and you're there counting with them saying one, two, three, up and then you pick them up and shake them or maybe perhaps even throw them in the air if they're not too heavy for you to catch <laughs> safely and so that's your little routine and so eventually you know we want to we want them to hear that recognize that so that when you say oh you want to play up or you want to let me throw you up whatever you want to say I usually do say do you want to play up and then they uh, start to recognize that so they stand still or maybe even hold up their arms and get ready for you to pick them up and so you start it in the same way with your anticipatory counting there with one two three and then hopefully over time they're going to start to say up or whatever target word that you've chosen with that and then you pick them up and throw them up as a reward for them saying that word and so that certainly is a game you can do things like swinging in a blanket and this is great for our little guys who who seem to want that all over body input and so they like rough and tumble play and they like swinging and they like sliding so this would be certainly something that you could do with them as as an activity now you usually need another adult to do this although as a therapist you probably have built up enough strength in your arms that if the child is less than 25 pounds or so you can probably or 30 pounds you can probably do it on your own just put a kid in a blanket and get ready to swing them and again you can do a ready set go or a one two three is kind of your anticipatory beginning there as a verbal routine for a child to begin to fill in that last word which would be go or three and so then you start to swing them and and the child's part in this game is what it's letting you swing them is <laughs> staying in the blanket and certainly over time it's going to be as i said filling in that word in the verbal routine uh certainly a game like we talked about with ring around the rosies that's a popular little game to play because it does, uh, lots of kids play it as they get older, but it does also give a kid an opportunity for movement. And then I like it because you end up sitting down. And so you, with the fall down part, and you can easily transition that after you've played it three or four times, have your next toy there kind of ready to go when they're, uh, when you've played it enough and they're, uh, satiated to the point that they don't need to move and they can sit and enjoy a play routine with you on the floor for a few minutes but with ring around the rosie certainly you can do a big play routine with you know making a big deal about holding hands and then you can maybe bounce your knees on ready set go and then begin your rhyme you ring around the rosies pocket full of posies ashes ashes we all fall down and certainly down can be a target word after you've played ring around the rosies for days and days or weeks and weeks you can start to pause even at the end and say we all fall 
and give it that pregnant pause there and that anticipatory waiting, expectant waiting, where the child would fill in the target word there down. So great little games to play. The next kind of social game here is a lap game. And this is for kids who like to be held, our cautious, cuddly kids who need that body-on-body -body contact to help them feel safe and settle down. It's also good for our little guys who, after they've had a lot of movement, where we've done a lot of chasing and running and expanded our, expanded our movement games, and now it is time for them and they are ready sensory-wise to kind of come in and settle down a little bit and be close to you, but maybe you're not quite ready for a toy here. You can transition to these lap games, and so these are things, uh, let's just run through a couple of these games. So like up and down, so how do you play up down? I just put a kid on my knees, hold their little hands and say up, 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 while I lift my knees up. So they're perched there on my knees and I'm holding their hands and then you, then you say, down and you let them gently or not so gently if they are a sensory seeker and kind of need that bump fall to the floor and again you can you can use these as verbal routines where you get to the point that you've played it often enough that a kid needs to say down before you drop your legs and he gets to fall to the floor but it's a nice nice way to give that body on body contact and help a child learn to stay with you and learn to be in that close contact with you. Other little games that you can do as lap games, ride a little horsey and that's same thing, same uh, structure where you're sitting on the floor and your legs, pardon me, your legs are in front of you and the child is sitting on your lap and you hold their hands and you bounce them and you say, ride a little horsey to town. Watch out, Henry, <laughs> their name, don't fall down and again let them fall to the floor with that it's a great sensory input activity for our little guys who again are seeking movement and who want to be held but you're keeping them there in that close contact with you so that's a great little social game to do and then certainly my favorite little uh, lap social game of all times is row row your boat and this is where you again sit with a child on your lap and you can do it on the floor but you could do this in a chair on a couch too if you're sitting there and just have a child sitting there on your lap and you hold their hands as you sing row 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 your boat gently down the stream merrily 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 life is but a dream i need to do the rowing part don't i <laughs> row 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 your boat gently down the stream here's my favorite verse if you see an alligator close your eyes and scream ah! and so certainly the child's part there at the end is what it's him screaming, covering his eyes, and then doing a little scream. And lots of times, this is the very first vocalization I might get in speech therapy from a nonverbal child or from a child who maybe even is echolalic, but this would be something that they do in imitation of me. And it's much, much simpler than maybe singing their ABCs or happy birthday or quoting Buzz Lightyear or whatever they do as their own little echolalic soliloquy, but this might be something that they do, again, in direct imitation of me right there. It's very, very purposeful. So again, don't discount these little games in helping a child, like we talked about, not only learn how to socially uh, connect with you, but then move on to the next piece with communicating, with doing their part and with responding there. Now, uh, the last category here would be songs with hand motions. So things like Itsy Bitsy Spider, Wheels on the bus. 
head, shoulders, knees, and toes. Uh, a song like Jingle Bells, where maybe you're using a little prop uh, with bells there. Or uh, a song like Skinamarink or the Bye Bye Song or any little song with hand motions where a child learns uh, to do the motions with you. Now, you might be thinking about a song like If You're Happy and You Know It. And that is such a great speech therapy song because we are working through imitation. We're going to talk about that one a little bit more specifically in that imitation category. But those are the kinds of games that we're thinking about. And I hope that when you were writing down your list that you included things like that. So I, now, if you need to, go back and write down some of those little things that we talked about so that you can remember. And we also have to think about when we're teaching social games that we have to be animated and we have to be fun. You cannot be boring or, as I like to say, you know, phone it in. You've really got to play and really ham it up and participate. And so those kinds of things are the very first game that we play with children with speech-language delays because it helps them interact. And again, we're making that communication, them listening to what you're saying, learning what those words mean, assigning meaning there in the beginning to do their part, either with hand motions or with a gesture like we talked about in the game to be thrown up. They're holding their hands up for you to pick them up. Those are the kinds of things that we want to see and teach in these games. So let me give you some resources for this. I, I didn't bring it over here with me to the table to do the podcast, but the Autism Workbook is a fabulous resource there. Uh, you can find all the categories of games that I talked about with social games where you're really choosing the games to play with a child based on their sensory needs. Teach Me to Play With You is the, uh, the manual that I mentioned. It's the very first therapy manual that I wrote, and it was based on uh, Giggle Time or Susan Odd Saunders' wonderful book, and I'm going to link that here too. And uh, there's a resource page where, where I'm going to provide links for all these materials, and you can get that link here in the post on YouTube. If you're listening on your podcast app, you can go to Teach Me to Talk and look for show 448 and get that resource list too. But Teach Me to Play With You actually walks you through all the social games that we talked about, but it's very, very uh systematic and it's broken down into what would my goals be for ride a little horsey how do i play that and what are the child's goals what should i expect first and then what can i expect next and how do i expand this game so teach me to play with you is a great resource uh, for therapists who are working with children with social interaction issues or any kind of uh, language delay and certainly it was written for parents so I want you to uh, know about that resource and check it out and then Hannon also has some great resources Hannon.org and some books uh, to help uh, teach people games as they call it so I hope that you'll check that out the second kind of game that we're going to talk about are receptive language games. So what are receptive language games? Well, let's start by defining receptive language. What's receptive language? Receptive language is what a child understands or the language that comes into him. So it's the input piece for us. And so uh, this would be like following demand, commands, following directions, listening when and completing activities when someone asks them to do something. And so we know that lots of our little friends who have expressive language delays, really aren't talking because of why? Because they don't understand the words. There's a receptive component as well. So these little receptive language games are where we target this, where we target following directions. And of course, we can work on receptive language in daily routines, and of course, we can work on it in play. But here we're talking about using really, really specific games where we set up the expectation that a child is going to hear what we ask him to do and then complete that request. So this is beyond free play. Lots of our little friends uh, who really 
really thrive with social games, this is going to be their next step. This is how we bump it up a little bit for them. So let's talk about the skills that we address in receptive language games. Of course, we're going to address what? Receptive language, increasing what a child understands. So working on those comprehension skills. We're also going to target auditory processing. So what's auditory processing? It is receptive language. It is understanding the language that they've heard, but it's actually a little bit more than that. It's taking that language and then organizing it. And so we'll have a lot of our little friends who understand lots of uh, our, our our friends in ABA would say mans or names of things. SLPs say labels. They understand, you know, maybe a hundred different nouns. But when we start to say things like go get your shoes and bring them to me or go get that book and sit on the couch they understand book they understand sit they understand couch but then to put it all together is really really hard for them and so our little friends who struggle with that auditory processing piece can really benefit from receptive language games uh, these games also are great for addressing attention so when we have our busy kids who are just too busy to listen because they're they want to do their own thing or their little bodies again their sensory systems are really driving them to uh, get their physical needs met and so they often ignore incoming auditory messages sometimes even if they already understand the words and so attention is certainly something that we work on with receptive language games certainly uh, the task completion and participation and a lot of times parents will say he's just not doing this because he's stubborn or he doesn't listen to me because he's just like his dad or he's lazy he does he could do it if he wanted to these receptive language games are where kind of the rubber meets the road. And you can really help a parent see pretty quickly, oh, my child really doesn't understand that. Or you can uh, really, really work on these concepts that they don't understand. And really, again, because you've per you're providing the structure of a game, the child is able to participate better. And so are the parents because uh, they need the structure and the routine as much as the children do. Because, again, we said that play doesn't come naturally to all parents. And so we have to help parents by giving them routines that they can do, that they can remember, so that they can practice these things with their children on their own. So receptive language games are super important for our toddlers as they begin to transition to preschool therapy services. If they're expected to go to a classroom environment after we see them, our little guys with receptive language delays, as we said before, often get lost or they just kind of fall through the cracks at school because they, they're not understanding the directions. They're not listening well enough to understand the directions from the teacher saying, okay, everybody, it's time to go stand at the door. We're getting ready to go to lunch or we're going to go outside now or whatever it is. They get lost in those routines. Our little guys with receptive language delays can also stay in trouble at school all day because they're not lining up. They're not going back to the table when they're supposed to. They're not cleaning up uh, when their teacher begins to transition routines because they're not in the habit of listening to those kinds of directions. So our social games get a child at the beginning interacting and participating and then the receptive language games kind of hone that so that they are really again more uh, participatory or compliant if you want to use that word there and so super super way to do that. So who's it best for? What's our target population? Again our older toddlers and preschoolers with receptive language delays and disorders. You may try some of these games with younger toddlers, but I found lots of them aren't just, they're not developmentally mature enough to be able to play these games yet. 
And so you sort of have to work a child into this. And that's why the beauty, that's one of the beauties of these games and the beauties of using games and speech therapy, because you can make it as simple as you need to at the beginning. And we're going to start real simple with the ones that I'm going to be uh, giving you as examples today. But then you can bump it up and really address even higher language uh, goals, higher level language goals in the context of these same games as you go. So I love them. So uh, kids who don't listen or who avoid listening, our busy kids, these are great candidates for receptive language games are scattered kids they have some skills but again they're just not organized you think if i could just pull this child together he's got all these little pieces but he's just still all over the place receptive language games will really help you uh, again provide some of that that organization here for that kind of child so that he understands and so that the expectation is that I, I hear this and I will do this uh, certainly kids with autism can benefit from these games as well so there's one really 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 important rule when we start to play receptive language games and what would that be don't talk do not expect the child to talk or say anything during these games and this is where parents and where even me as a chatty patty speech language pathologist can blow it we'll take a receptive language game and then all of a sudden we start expecting the child to talk we start expecting him to request or we start expecting him to imitate and he can't do it yet we need to just be focused on the listening piece and so that's what i would tell you as you play these games yes you can bump these games up to use them as an expressive language uh task but for lots of our little guys we don't need to start there we need to just focus on the listening so no requesting no naming no labeling nothing just listening and then completing the request or following the direction so right now i want you to think about receptive language games that you may already play now this is the this is the kind of thing where when i talk with parents about this or therapists that i'm mentoring this is where a lot of people kind of go ah oh, hmm and they're not really sure they don't know if they have any little games like this and so think right now any little thing that you might do any little routine and then after i've given you a couple seconds to think about that we'll review my list and talk about how you can get these games started today one of the first kinds of receptive language games that i play with my little friends are puzzle races or puzzle relays so what is this this is when you take a wooden puzzle usually with six pieces or so and you put the puzzle the place where the pieces go on the other side of the room and then you as the adult hold the other pieces with you in a bag in whatever you in your lap just somewhere where the kid can't get all the pieces and because this is a receptive language game remember what did we say our number one rule is we don't ask the child to talk so what we're going to do is ask a child to listen and then complete a request and usually this is just identification so in the earliest stages of the puzzle uh, race you would just have uh, two pieces where you hold up two pieces and let's say it's a transportation puzzle and so you've got a boat and a car and so you say to the child get the car find the car and so you really wanted to pick the car because this isn't again a child-led activity it's an adult-led activity we're trying to get him uh, again improving his comprehension skills and his uh, participation so you want him picking the piece that you say now what if he doesn't what if a child is still struggling with receptive language and whatever materials you're using this is really a teaching activity not so much a listening activity yet you're still really teaching the words you can use a technique called airless teaching so if you've got a choice of two and you're saying get the boat get the boat for airless teaching you make it less likely that they will make an error so you 
hold the boat a little closer. <laughs> so they're going to pick the one that you say there. And so that's how you help a, a kid. If, you, if that's your problem, if you're troubleshooting and you say, he never picks the right piece, that's because he doesn't really understand the words. And so then you know, well, we're not only working on the listening piece or the auditory processing, this really is a language teaching exercise for him. And again, that's fantastic. And, and that's what we use these games for. Uh, so be sure that you're incorporating that in your, don't let a child habitually pick the wrong thing and just go, okay, that's wrong. That's not it. Okay. Don't do that because you really do want to get them, again, in the habit of listening and responding correctly. So use airless teaching there. Now, I like puzzles for this kind of thing because kids usually love it. They understand. I take the piece and I go figure out which piece it is, where it goes over there, and I put it in there. For some kids, you're going to have to walk them through that process or have mom sitting at the other end of the puzzle so she can help the child get the find the right place for the puzzle piece. But usually, by the time you start this kind of game with the child, he's a little bit past that. He can do it on his own. And so I love puzzles for this. With puzzles, you can do picture identification or object identification like we talked about where they you, you say, you know, you have an animal puzzle, find the dog, get the duck, uh, you know, those kinds of things. But you can also, with puzzles, really bump it up to work on that next level of language. And this is where I think this game is more successful for kids who already understand the words. You're just working on, uh, I, like I, I like to call it, the listening piece or the compliance piece where they're listening for the correct choice, they're getting it, and then they're uh, running to put it in the puzzle and then come back to you. And so you can you can make it a little bit harder. You can use verbs. You can say uh, maybe there's an animal uh, puzzle that there's some variety of what the animals are doing. So which one is eating? Which one is sleeping? You can do some prepositions here. Who's in the barn? Find the one who's in the barn with some prepositions or which one is up or which one is on top. You can do object functions here. You could take your transportation puzzle and say which one goes in the water? You know, that would be the boat. Which one flies for the airplane? And so you can look at object functions. You can also do some even higher level teaching with things like negation so that you're holding up two pieces. Let's say you have a bunny and a horse and you say, which one is not the bunny? And so some really higher level language here. And so think about what you can do with that. And again, this is a really good activity for kids who are pretty scattered and who kind of tend to want to do their own thing. They've already, uh, they already understand lots of words. It's just you're working on that, that listening piece or that participation piece. All right, the next receptive language game here, kind of along the same vein, but it's find the game. So this would be where you give a request for a child to retrieve a specific item that you've named. And so you can do this in a lot of different ways. If, if you've played the puzzle game, I like to sort of do it the same way, where I set up the items on the other side of the room and I'm holding the child and I say, oh my goodness, look what's over there. Look at that. There's a ball and there's a banana and there's a book and there's some blocks. I want you to go get the blocks. Go bring me a block. Hurry, hurry, go, go. And they're, they're, uh, objective here is to run over and get the block and come back. Now, like I started talking about before, you may need two adults for this. You, you may, as the therapist, ask the question, you know, go get the blocks. And then you might have to walk the child over there, get the blocks, and then walk and bring them back. Or have mom do that. Or have mom, it's actually better if mom is the one who's saying, go find the ball. And you as the therapist are 
taking the child over, you know, running with them, making it exciting like it's a game. And again, that's what helps kids want to participate. And then bring them, uh, get the correct item and then bring it back to mom. Um, I like to do this. I don't start out with find the games because I found that when kids do that at the beginning, they don't understand the game. And so if you're saying go get the ball, they go over to get the ball and then they just start playing with the ball and you just lose them. But if you introduce the find the games with real objects after you've done the puzzles, they know the routine. They know they're supposed to run, get it and do something and then come back. And so that sort of is something that I've learned the hard way. So I wanted to share that with you. But it's a great way to help kids, again, learn to listen and work on that auditory comprehension piece. The last kind of game here I want to talk to you about are matching games. And again, as an SLP, or you might be thinking, why am I working on matching? That's a cognitive skill. Guys, it's all connected. <laughs> and so matching is such an important pre-academic skill that we want to see <clears throat> Uh, arise in children who are toddlers and preschoolers. So you can play this with anything. You can do it with matching objects like, you know, you're going to have a pair of shoes and two balls and two cars and two brushes or two whatever, and you're going to have them on the other side of the room. And then you have a child. How I like to play it is I put the objects in a bag and you can use the clear Ziploc uh, two and a half gallon size bags like I use that you might have seen in all the therapy clips on uh, YouTube. Or uh, you can even do a bag where a kid can't see, and that might make it a little bit more exciting where it's like a, a surprise or a mystery. And so you have them just reach in and grab an object, and then they have to go find the match and then bring it back to you. Or leave it over there. Leave the match there and then come back and get the next one. You can do it with familiar objects. You can make it seasonal. And so for Valentine's Day, you could have them matching, you know, a pink heart and a red heart or a white heart or whatever you want to do. In the wintertime, I like to do with mittens and so I have all kinds of uh, pairs of mittens maybe some that are patterned with stripes or stars or whatever and then some that are solid colors and so the child is really matching by color which again is matching by color comes long before they understand this one is red or this one is orange matching is actually the first little skill that we would work on in color identification so if you have a child who's really struggling with that, some matching activities are what we would need to be uh, addressing is that first foundational piece rather than constantly saying, it's blue, say blue, what color is it? Blue, tell me blue. You know, matching would come well before that. So another great way to kind of work in another uh, related skill here. So matching games are a great way to do that. Now the last little game that we want to talk about with the receptive language games would be child preference games. So what do I mean by this? I would mean a child who has an obsession and you think I'm going to turn this into a game so that I can participate in this. So let's say that you have a child who knows 10 different official dinosaur names and, and they've changed these since I learned these with my children, you know, Brontosaurus or T-Rex. They may be called different things now, but you might have a child who who's learned names for dinosaurs but he doesn't want to do anything with that except sit and fondle his dinosaurs <laughs> or say the name as he brings them out. And sh uh, Usually it's not even directed to somebody else. He's not even really telling you the name. He's just saying it because, and that's a self-stimulatory activity for him. And that's okay because that's who he is and that's his hot button and that's what he likes. But how do we make that participatory? We use the same format that we've talked about for these receptive language games. So it might be that you have him right there with you and you, you have his dinosaurs all on the other side of the room and you say, oh my goodness, go find the T-Rex or 
pterodactyl or what whatever his little whatever it is and that's how you use it if you have a kid who loves baseball cards and he's memorized all these baseball players that could be something you could do is have his little baseball cards across the room and when you're asking him go find that for kids who are higher level you might say and again, I barely know anything about baseball cards and who would be trade-worthy, but I'm just going to make this up. Go find Babe Ruth and Joe DiMaggio. I, I doubt that a toddler really, you're going to let him play with those baseball cards and have those two particular baseball players. But you get my point here. Let's, let's use a more realistic example. Let's say a kid is obsessed with letters. He loves letters. You could do this with uh, the little magnetic letters that you put on the refrigerator. You could even be with him in a different part of the house, and you could say, you know your letters on the refrigerator? Go get a B. Go find a B for me. And then if he doesn't do it on his own, take him, grab his little hand, run to the fridge, look for the B, and then run back to your starting point. And again, that's what makes this exciting. That's what makes it a game. That's what helps him not get lost and just go do his self-stimmy stuff that he usually likes to do with the letters. We don't want him to do that. We want to really participate and again have him work on this auditory processing piece. So for that kid you might, I mean you might get to bump it up high. I've done uh, games like this with kids, let's say a kid who loved numbers and he had a flashcard set, you know, one to a hundred and we're putting it out over the room and, and his parents actually played this with him before I did, but they would say, go find 67, and he would go over and shuffle through his cards until he found 67 and bring it back. And again, for a kid who has an obsession like this, but doesn't demonstrate really functional, practical uh, auditory comprehension skills and daily routines, like he can go get a 67, but you might have to ask him 25 times you know, to go get his shoes or to go bring you something from his room or even a toy, you know, go put that toy away. He doesn't do that. So this would be a way to help refine those auditory comprehension skills and those listening skills. Use their little obsessions. Come up with ways that you can play games. I've had kids with shape sorters that all they really wanted to do was sit and for, you know, 30 minutes at a time, just play with that shape sorter, you know, to, just to the exclusion of everything else. And you can do the same thing with that is set up the shape sorter on the other side of the room where you have the shapes and he gets one at a time and he runs over and puts it in and then comes back. And so these are great ways to help uh, get you in when a child has some receptive language strengths, but you're not really understanding how you can make that more uh, communicative and where he can really let you play too. So by using the structure of a game, you can really, really do that. All right, so let's review some resources for receptive language. And I'll tell you this area more than any other, the resources are few and far between. Um, I want to go ahead and tell you about two of my resources. One is Let's Talk About Talking, and I do have that manual over here. This is a great manual because it walks through the 11 pre-linguistic skills that all toddlers, no matter what their diagnosis is or isn't, needs to master before they learn how to talk. And so there are lots of receptive language games in here. There's a whole chapter on that where we're particularly talking about receptive language, but that's a great one. And then my therapy manual called Teach Me to Talk, the therapy manual list a lot of receptive language games kind of in the context of receptive language milestones. Now remember I told you we have that podcast series coming up where we're going to walk through all the milestones, receptive and expressive, from under 12 months to 48 months. So hang on if you don't have a, a good resource for those kinds of things, hang on because we're going to be talking about that in our next set of shows. But those are some really good receptive language resources for uh, you to get your hands on and begin to use today.
Now we're ready to talk about our third kind of game, so imitation games. Now I've already talked about how important imitation is because imitation is how all kids learn to talk. And so when we have a game where a kid is learning to copy us or repeat us, that's what I mean by imitation game now. So we, ha we are kind of getting to the expressive language component, but we're not going to be at the point of words yet. And this is, again, where so many parents and even some therapists really mess this up. We start at a level that's too high for a nonverbal late talker or a minimally verbal late talker. And so we're expecting them to say all these words and imitate all these words when they just can't. It's just not that they won't, they can't do it yet. So we have to get them there. And again, why is imitation so important? It's because it's how all kids learn how to talk. It's really how all kids learn everything. But then secondly, researchers have discovered that looking at a child's imitation skills at 18 months will tell you more about his language at 36 months than any other predictor. So we have got to get imitation going as early as possible, and we've got to get those, those skills just as strong as we can make them. So again, we're not going to start with words here. We're going to start with lower level skills, and we'll get there, but let's review kind of these prerequisites that we've been talking about. So what do these games address. What do uh, we address in imitation games? Well, of course, we're teaching imitation skills. We're teaching a child how to copy our actions, our sounds, and then our words. Now, remember, nonverbal imitation comes first. So when we have a child who's not talking, as I've already said, probably five times already in the show, we don't start with words. We back them down. We figure out where is this level of imitation breaking down and, and how can I make this stronger? And then we walk them up to words in a very, very sequential process. And again, we really use this particularly for children who are not imitating words. If a child is already saying words and using some words, he is beyond this kind of game. This game is for our little friends who, again, aren't there yet. And so we work on this, especially with our children who who are nonverbal. And until the kid learns how to imitate, he's not going to learn how to talk. And as I said in the intro, imitation is the most important skill that we will ever teach any child who's not yet talking. So some speech pathologists think that motor imitation is not a requirement for verbal imitation. And I don't disagree with them, but I can just say from doing this job now for nearly 30 years, that lots of our little friends who don't know how to imitate have to start back at the very beginning, and that's with nonverbal imitation. So who are imitation games best for? What's our target population? Late talkers who don't already imitate words, toddlers who are nonverbal or minimally verbal, no matter what the diagnosis turns out to be, and also teaching imitation is such an important skill for any child with apraxia who's not yet talking and our little guys with autism who are not yet talking. So imitation is so, so important. Uh, I like to use these kinds of games too as sort of a warm-up game for our kids who are already talking but who again may have the shyer temperament, kids who need to get warmed up at the beginning of therapy. And so once you get these games going, this might be your go-to warm-up activity and the kid is with you and just ready to take off for the rest of the session. So let's pause for a minute and do what we've been doing with the other two sections so far. And I want you to think about right now any little imitation game that you already play. And I bet that some of you are going to think about things that are a little bit higher level 
than what we're going to talk about, but that's okay. I want you to think about it first, and then we'll come back and talk about how to do it with toddlers who are nonverbal or minimally verbal. All right, so here let's talk about a basic imitation games for our little guys who aren't yet talking, who aren't using a lot of words. And remember what we said? This is kind of your test. Are we going to start with words? I hope you're screaming back at your screen now. No, we don't start with words. We start with easier nonverbal action. So I always start with something, a really simple physical movement like clapping. So that would be a really easy motor action for a child to imitate. So once a child claps with me, what do you want to do? You want him to do it again and again and again. And so you might do things like, oh, come on, let's clap, clap, yay. And then you move it on to something else, maybe waving his arms in the air, maybe stomping his feet, maybe waving bye-bye. And then after you get those kinds of things going that are very, very familiar, then you move on to less familiar action. So maybe patting your face or clicking your tongue or licking your lips or blinking your eyes. Even even then, some of our little guys won't be able to do that. And so we have to stay at that nonverbal place for a while. But once they are imitating that in the context of a song or a game, and we'll talk about that in just a second, we're going to eventually sneak in a play sound or another simple verbalization. So we start with, again, the easier, more familiar things. So instead of starting with the word, that we would want them to imitate, we start with this sound. So it might be something like a play sound, like uh, like blowing a raspberry, or it might be an animal sound, like moo, you know, if they can, can say that, or something that you know that you've heard them already do. Now, in the context of these imitative games, like I've already said, don't start with things that are brand new. Start with things that you know a child has a high degree of probability that he will be able to do with you. And you're not going to be able to teach him how to do something completely brand new, especially in a brand new game. So you've got to look at what they can already do, plug that into the game, and then eventually work your way up. So it might be for a kid that you he's doing a lot of motor actions with you. He can clap. He can wave his arms in the air. He can do a lot of that but then when you start you think oh he's ready I'm, I'm gonna try something I'm gonna try a little sound here don't pick a new word pick something you've heard him say so if he says dada that's what you do you would just kind of take your turn and you know you've, you've been doing your clapping you've been doing your wave your arms you would say now say dada and then you want to do it again kind of keep it animated keep it keep it moving along keep it fun but keep it simple enough so that a child can participate and do that with you. If if he's not really even at the word level, stick with things like um, play sounds. So coughing, <coughs> a fake cough, or a pant, <sighs> or a fake sneeze, achoo, you know, anything like that where they are copying something verbal. And then again, you're going to work them up to the point that they are copying a sound or a word. Now, when we were going back talking about clapping our hands and waving our hands in the air and stomping our feet, you may already be thinking, that sounds like the song if you're happy and you know it. And that's what we talked about before. This is, that's a wonderful little song to get these imitation things going. And again, you're going to start really, really simple and put those nonverbal things in. And you've got the structure there with the song, you know, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy and you know it, then your face will surely show it. If you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. Sing slower than I did there. I get kind of nervous, performance anxiety, even after 15 seasons of the podcast. 
with kind of doing this for adults there it always kind of feels scary and unnatural to me but sing it really really slow and you'll reach over if a child isn't performing the hand motions with you reach over and help him do it now of course we can't do that when we get to the point where he's saying little sounds but until then you can so you can really get that nonverbal imitation piece going and so the song here like we said provides enough structure for parents to be able to get these games going at home but but just remember the whole premise here is that we want a, co a child to copy and so we want him to copy actions and then we want him to copy sounds and I'm not talking about speech sounds like p or t or k. I'm talking about sounds like uh, you know, see, well, that would be more like a speech sound. Like I was thinking of a snag there, but a sound like, uh, you know, woof, woof, uh, an animal sound or uh, choo, choo, you know, a train sound. So anything like that that we're going to think about in the context of that. So this kind of game does take some time to get going, but it's so worth it. And you can certainly do these little things in therapy. And we're going to talk about and uh, kind of a more complex version of this imitation game as we move on to our next category of games with uh, first games for peers. And so if you're still thinking, I'm not quite sure how to get this going, listen to this, keep listening to the show because it'll get easier when you hear that next set. Uh, and let me say too that our colleagues who are in ABA, so our friends who do applied behavioral analysis, they, they practice this a lot with our kids who are on the spectrum and that's why our little friends with autism do make such good progress sometimes in ABA even more than speech and I hate to say that but it's because things are very very sequential and things are broken down at this earliest little level and some of our little guys just the language is still so abstract for them so we have to start uh, where our colleagues in ABA do with the nonverbal imitative piece and so again if you are a speech language pathologist and you've not thought about that before I hope that that kind of gives you something to think about today because with our little guys again that's kind of the missing piece for so many of our friends they don't understand how to imitate and a lot of our colleagues who are preschool therapists or school-age therapist, even big experts who do things like, again, I'm thinking of uh, maybe Nancy Kaufman with apraxia. She wants kids to be able to imitate before they get to her. I mean, that's, that's not something that, that's a prerequisite skill. So those of us who work with our itty-bitty friends in early intervention, that's where we need to start with the, those more basic skills, again, even before we get to the speech-language piece. All right, so those are some imitative games. Let me give you some resources. Now, I've written a lot about getting imitation games going in my new therapy manuals, the Apraxia Workbooks 1 and 2, and so if that's a new thing for you, if you are a speech-language pathologist and you've keep thinking I just I don't know how to teach a kid how to imitate I, I can't get him there that's something that's a real struggle for me especially with my friends with apraxia get yourself a copy of this workbook because it'll help you and walk you through that process now I've written another book called building verbal imitation skills in toddlers where I outline that whole hierarchy where we go from imitating actions with objects to imitating gestures or body movements and then we kind of work our way up. We start out here at the gross motor stuff and work our way up to the mouth with with nonverbal facial and mouth movements and then we move to the verbal piece with play sounds and then we get to almost words with exclamatory words. And so I've taught a lot of series about that uh, in our podcast series and I'll go ahead and link that here. It's helping late talkers learn how 
how to imitate words. And so if you're interested in that, uh, that link is going to be below. But those imitative games are fantastic. Again, like I said, with receptive language games, it may take you a while to get this going with a little friend. But once you do, your effort will pay off. And so it's something that I want to encourage you to do. Now we're ready to talk about the fourth kind of game, and this is first games with peers. So they are the, these are the very first little games that we're going to introduce to our little friends who are in speech therapy when we are going to be involving another child or another same age peer. It might also be a sibling at home. It might be a neighbor who's just happened to be at a child's home when you were there for speech therapy. Anything like that. We always find occasions to bring other little friends into therapy sessions and let me say always find occasions that was probably pre-pandemic where that was a little bit easier now we have a whole generation of children who were born during the pandemic who don't have lots of experiences with little friends their own age and i have gotten email after email from parents and phone call after phone call from parents who say, I didn't realize how this is going to be such a big deal for her. She is petrified when she sees other children, or there's no way I can send him to preschool this year. He hasn't even seen anybody else. You know, he's maybe only seen a few other people in this whole first two years, and it just seems like such a big, scary experience. I just don't think he's ready yet. So, so many of our little guys are going to need this kind of structured teaching that we have to do with them with another little peer before they're really ready to embark on something like preschool. And parents need that experience too. They're really scared about that for their children who have speech language delays. And so we're going to talk about how we can take the games that we've already discussed in the first three categories, social games, receptive language games, and then imitation games, and what we can do to bring a little peer into that. And so how I like to think about this is we introduce these games uh, in that kind of order where we where we talk where we teach and we use the games with one-on-one -on -one with the child and then so that he knows it and he's familiar with the game and then we're just adding another child so we're not teaching a brand new game when there are two other brand new kids there plus a brand new game our little friends don't learn like that. They need to recognize it and be familiar with it. So that's why we're going to take that same format and then move it to uh, games that include other little friends. So let's walk through this, the other things that we've talked about with the other categories. What's the purpose of peer games? The purpose here is to help children move from solitary or parallel, even parallel play to more cooperative play where we are uh, purposefully having them interact with other children. Now some of these games are more parallel play like and if that's a new term for you let's talk about that. Solitary play is just when a child plays by himself. Parallel play is what kids get to um, when they're a little bit older, a little bit older toddlers, so 18, 24 months, where they recognize that other children are there and they are doing the same thing as another child, but they're not necessarily talking, they're not necessarily interacting, they're just there kind of side by side, sharing the same space, doing the same thing. And you'll notice this a lot in toddler classrooms. Um, for outdoor activities, let's say they're all playing in a sandbox or even inside in, in your center-based uh, programs, they, you may have a sensory box right there and every child is still kind of doing his own thing, but they're allowing the other children to sit beside them. They're occasionally looking up and seeing what another child is doing, but they're not necessarily cooperating. Cooperative play is where you're sharing toys, 
you're talking to each other, there is some evidence of that reciprocity or that back and forth communication. And again, even before words, we would want to see that kind of cooperative play. So we've got to move kids toward this. So who's our target population for first peer game? So it's best for, like we've already said, kids who don't regularly engage with other children and who have difficulties with that. Now, some of our little guys with speech language delays who may not have seen another child ever, you could throw them into a classroom situation and they are fine. Their cognitive skills are good. Their receptive language skills are good. They want to be able to interact with other kids. This is exciting for them. They do fine. We are not talking about those kids. <laughs> We're talking about the children who really struggle with that, who have a hard time, who, who really become so introverted and so self-isolating when other children are around. And these, again, might be kids who are like that all the time, our little friends who are on the autism spectrum, but it could be kids that, again, lack the experience. And uh, this is so important post-COVID. Uh, we talked about our little friends with social issues like suspected autism. So certainly uh, we can include these uh, kinds of games. So let's do what we've done with the other three categories. I want you to stop for a minute and think about the little peer games that you already play. If you're a mom, you think about it, how your child might play with, if he's not an only child, with your other children, things that you do with them, or with your family members that you see regularly, or if you're a therapist and you're doing some little groups of toddlers, or you want to do some groups of toddlers, what are some peer games that you might introduced. So think about that for a minute. All right, I hope you have your list of those little games, and I hope now I can give you some more games. And here's my bet, and I base this on teaching live courses for years and years. Almost every time you, when you start thinking about peer games, you're thinking about things that are too hard. So you may have things on there like hide and seek, or like duck, duck, goose, or tag, or red rover, red rover, you know, the game where kids stand and hold hands and you know you have two lines of kids and the, another kid has to come and you know try to break through you know running that kind of thing that's probably even a little bit older than you're thinking about but we have to back it way down and again i'm talking about children who don't routinely interact with other kids so what are some things that we can start with well my number one first peer game is always a running game and and by this I mean that we just want the kids to run together now if you are watching a daycare class just play outside on a playground you notice these kinds of things a couple little boys might start running and then before they are across the playground they've picked up three or four other little friends because it's so intriguing and it just is magnetizing when a child sees another child run they want to get up and do it too and so that's what we would do with this kind of game and so often this is the very first time i even see glimpses of a child who is autistic maybe and, and uh you know uh, really uh, more moderately to significantly impacted even start to notice another child even if I've even if they've been in a play group setting this running game is something where I really start to see aha that's genuine he noticed that child he wants to interact with that child and so running games are a great way to get this going so what do we do here so here's how I do it I always come up with a point A and a point B so a place that we start running and then a place that we're going to run to and then a place that we're going to run back and so on a play playground it might be you know just where you're starting from say the little concrete pad or whatever and you're going to run to the tree and then you're going to run back if you were in an office i generally do it from one wall in the in the room that we're working in to the other wall you know provided we have enough room for that and so you're going to all just kind of 
be on one wall and to get the game started I usually just plaster myself against the wall and say come on come on come on come over here we're gonna run are you ready get over here come on everybody you know and you get everybody over there with help with from mom or whoever or you you know where you're having the child right there with you and then you do your ready set go and then all of you run to the second place and then if you're going to the opposite wall you plaster yourself against the wall you get your little friend to do that and again this might be literally you're holding them or holding their hands and having them run and then having them stop with you and you say ah we made it that was so fun let's do it again you know and then start your whole big animated ready set go and then you run you know back to the starting point and you do that several times and your goal here is for the child to stay with you and for him to enjoy it and for him to notice the other children and like it and so again sometimes you have to start this even before you introduce a game like this with the peer you have to start it yourself just one-on-one -on -one with the child or the child the mom and you and so great way to get kids who are really their own agenda kids noticing other children once you get that going you can start to add some props like maybe playing with a ball I like to use balloons because they're easier to play with they're easier for me to kind of keep up and keep control of maybe even more so than a ball you could use bubbles anything like that but when you introduce a prop with this game your your aim is not for kids to say take the ball and go away and play by themselves is for them to really include the other kids so you have to usually have a set action that you're all doing so if you're playing with a balloon everybody would just hit the balloon or if several balloons you just want the children throwing the balloons up or say with the ball your objective might be we're all going to kick let's kick come on kick and then kick the ball and then give a chance the child to kick the ball if he starts to run with it or play with it do whatever redirect him back but you really want everybody doing the same thing at the same time lots of kids can't handle that adding the prop as toddlers it gets them off every time they 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 revert right back to doing their own thing with the ball and again is that so bad not really but here our aim our goal here with these games is to get them to play with other children so be careful when you introduce props and do that really really carefully uh, another game that we've already talked about that i mentioned before was social games and remember this is what we're doing we're walking through social games with peers uh, ring around the rosies that we talked about where we all hold hands and we say ready set go and then we walk around in our little circle and we sing ring around the rosies pocket full of posies ashes ashes we all fall down and then everybody falls to the floor and so that's a great little game to play kids love it again when you have your little friend with a language delay who starts watching another little friend fall down and they're both laughing that's hysterical and moms can really see that first little hint of oh he likes he's making a friend he likes this other child and so it's so much fun for parents to see too you can certainly do a social games group songs you think about circle time games like this where you're all singing the same song you're all doing the same hand motion just be sure that you're keeping it as simple as it needs to be for your little friend to be able to join in and another tip would be don't introduce a new song in the context of a peer game remember what we said we want to start with familiar so you introduce the song or do the routine into one-on-one -on -one, just where that child is by himself with you and then you put it as an activity that you use with other peers now the second kind of game that we talked about receptive language games this is just where you're going to have kids 
playing the same receptive language game. So we're going to revisit our ideas from the previous examples, and now we just do it with one, more than one child. So we have puzzle races. Remember that with receptive language games? And remember what was our number one rule with receptive language games? We're not going to expect the child to talk. So this is where we're going to do the whole hold up the two pieces of the puzzle and say, you know, get the car and have the child find the right puzzle piece from your choice of two and then run over and put it in the puzzle and come back. And here with this game, a child learns how to wait his turn. And so he has to wait while his little friend does that. And his, then his little friend has to wait while he does it. So great transition games for preschool. You can do it with the objects that we talked about with the find me games where you're using or find the, and you're using the uh, familiar objects there. And again, the child has to learn to kind of wait. And additional adults to help you do this where a mom is saying, you know, oh no, it, it's Logan's turn right now. Watch Logan. Logan has to pick. Watch. Will he do it? Will he pick the right one? You know, where mom is really coaching the child to to stay and coaching the child to wait. And again, mom might not be great at that. It might be mom who has to hold up the puzzle pieces for the different kids that are there and you as the therapist are the one who's coaching the other child or the children oh we have to wait it's her turn emily's doing it watch Shh, listen listen it's emily's turn can she do it can she run you know so you're really coaching those kinds of things and so kids love this and again such a good transition for preschool all right let's move on and talk about imitation games with peers we talked about that where it's a child's learning how to copy or repeat nonverbal actions and then move to verbal words or sounds and so I like to play this game uh, a lot at snack time because we're already at the table in a little group or maybe even circle time where we're all sitting down and so you can just start that as an adult and you can say something you can you can do the song like if you're happy and you know it and start it that way or a lot of times once we've done that once we've done if you're happy and you know it and after we've finished singing that with two or three little verses, I just start then not even with the song, just doing what I want the children to do. So I might say, oh, let's pat our legs, you know, and really model that real big, patting your legs. Do some hand over hand to get all the kids patting their legs. And then after they do that, switch your uh, action. You know, then you might be, oh, let's... Uh, shake our arms or let's uh, pat our face or let's all blow kisses and so you keep that going and then eventually remember what we said then we're going to start to sneak in some sounds or words and so you might say oh everybody scream ah! uh, those kinds of things are really powerful for our little guys who are again learning not only to imitate you but learning how to imitate other children and so we want to get those processes going. Now you can do it with little games like that, or if you need some more structure, there are a couple little books that you can use. For years and years, I used a book from Sesame Street called Elmo Says, and so he does some different things, and you can use that like circle time where you're reading the book, and you know, Elmo Says, uh, stomp your feet and so then you're all you model it as the adult and then you have all the children stomp their feet so that's a great book and I'll link that below now the last I would say decade I've used a book from Eric Carl called from head to toe I can do it same kind of premise where he has darling zoo animals there's a gorilla and a giraffe and a bear and they're doing different things but you're teaching nonverbal imitation and it's great because you're having all the children do it and again it helps helps move a child who's been 
pretty isolated and who doesn't regularly watch or interact with other children start to really watch them as they are all doing the same thing so great ideas there always remember to begin with those easy nonverbal actions and always remember to start with something that a child has already done with you or something you know is not going to be too hard for that child to do because if you start too hard what happens you lose them and if you lose the child you're working with What's the point, right? You know, you think, well, he's going to watch other kids do it. He can't, he can't say these words, but I'm going to have the other kids say, no, don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. Keep it simple enough for that child that you were working with, with the delay or disorder to be able to participate. All right. So that's it. We have worked through those four categories of games, social games, receptive language games, imitation games, and then those first peer games. And I hope that I've given you some really simple ideas to get started. And again, these were really the most basic ideas. I am sure you have fantastic ideas. If you want to share those with everybody, go ahead and put them in the comment section below because I'm sure anybody who listens to this show or uh, reads this post here on YouTube will want to see those ideas. If you haven't subscribed to our YouTube channel already, I'd love to invite you to do that because we'd love to have you and you'll get notified of when we have new videos, especially this whole series that we're going to be talking about this fall with our developmental uh, language milestone. So I hope that you'll join me for that. Now I'm going to remind you about CE credit for this podcast. If you just were listening or watching on YouTube and haven't gotten your CE credit yet, uh, you can do that with the link below. Sign up for that. You'll get the handout. If you're a parent and you're thinking, oh, I'd love those notes, but I don't need the continuing education credit, that's okay. We're set up for you too. And it's a great way to support our work if you'll uh, use your uh, five bucks to get the notes for this show. All right, that's it for today. Remember that I said I would post the resource link here. I want you to have the information uh, for the autism workbooks, my newest projects, and then teach me to play with you. Let's talk about talking and teach me to talk the therapy manual. I'll have great ideas if you are a pediatric speech language pathologist just like me and need some new ideas for your therapy sessions. All right, that's really it. Thanks so much for joining me. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech language pathologist, and you have just participated in Teach Me to Talk's podcast. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.